we're in a series right now called uh, Design for a Purpose. Well, what is this really all about? Well, one of our God-given purposes is for each one of us to discover, develop, and then deploy the unique design that God has given to us in order to serve him in his church and in his world. So, if you think of the church as a team called to follow and honor our head coach, our leader, Jesus Christ, the question is, what is your position on the team? What is your role? Well, of course, there's a sense in which you and I should be willing to do anything that our coach wants us to do, right? I mean, if your neighbor falls in a ditch, you don't say, sorry, neighbor, but uh, helping neighbors out of the ditch is not my position. No, you help your neighbor regardless of the position you play. If there's a need in velocity or to serve in the nursery, and you can serve, even though that may not be your passion area of life, that's what you do because you and I are called upon to have servant hearts. But in addition to these more spontaneous acts of service, God wants us to figure out what our primary area of service is to be. As I mentioned last week, it's not the idea that you hire paid staff, pastors, and they're on the playing field doing all the ministry and you're up in the stands cheering them on. Go, pastor, go. You know, we hired you to minister to us. No, that's not the picture that we get in the scriptures. The picture that we get in the scriptures is a picture where you're involved on the field, you're involved playing a key position in the game, and the role of the paid pastor is to equip and to train you to figure out what your position is to be and do the best possible job you can in that particular area. So, the conclusion we get to from scripture as it relates to this issue is this. My primary area of service, the position that God wants me to play on his team, is determined by my design. Now, if you were here last week, you may recall that this word design is an acronym. Do you remember what the letters represent? No? Okay. Well, here you go. The next slide will help you out. And I encourage you to write these down if you're taking notes there on your sermon outline. So D in design stands for your desires. That's what we're going to talk about today. Next week, we'll talk about life experiences that have shaped you. And then we'll go on to consider skills, natural and developed talents and abilities, and then individuality. That's your, your personality, your temperament. And then we'll talk about the whole matter of spiritual gifts. So when you figure out each one of these, then you find your niche the position that God wants you to play on his team. And so the amazing thing is that God made you, and if you're a Christ follower, he brought you into a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, not only to be a part of the team so you show up for team meetings and take notes during those meetings like maybe you're doing today. No, 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 that's not the picture. The picture is you're involved in this team to play a very important position, okay? So last week we looked at this passage in Psalm 139. David puts it like this. God, you created every part of me. You put me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. 
It is amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous. So you're not an accident, okay? You're not the product of chance, having evolved over millions and millions of years out of pond scum. No, God created you. So you are a unique, special, valuable combination of these five factors. So today, then, we come to look at the first of these five, the whole matter of, our, of uh, discovering the importance of and following our God-given desires. And if that's to happen, then first of all, we need to be able to identify our heart's desires. So what do we mean by this term desires? Well, it refers to the bundle of motivations that you have. It, it uh, has reference to your ambitions, your longings, the things you dream about, the things you care about and that you love to do. These comprise your desires. Now, some would refer to this as your emotional heartbeat. I learned something new recently. Maybe you already knew about this. I didn't, that physically every human being has a heart that beats just a little differently. I think that's incredible. Yeah, so there's a slight variation in the pattern of every person's heartbeat. Well, the same can be said uh, emotionally. There are some things that cause your heart to beat like crazy and other things that cause the emotional heart not to beat at all. And guess who gave you that particular heartbeat? Well, God did. Proverbs 27, 19. As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the person. So God made you with your particular heartbeat so that it races when it's interested in certain things, and it doesn't race at all with respect to other kinds of issues. That's very intentional on God's part. So understanding your emotional heartbeat, your desires will help you to discover the position that God wants you to play in serving others. Now let me give you some examples. Some of us are so wired by God that our desires relate to serving a particular group of people. So here are some examples of this. If you look over in the left column, children, maybe you're passionate about working with college students or the disabled people, who are grieving the elderly, or if you look on the far right column, prisoners, single adults, single parents, unemployed, widowed, youth, all kinds of possibilities here. Others of us, though, are so wired by God that we're passionate about working with a particular cause or an issue. So this next chart draws attention to examples there. Again, look at the left column, abuse, violence, addictions, affordable housing, arts and culture, childcare, Christ-centered parenting, crime and safety. For the sake of time, look over on the right column again, health and fitness, or it could be human trafficking, immigration, international issues, all kinds of possibilities. So some of us are wired to work with a particular group of people. You're passionate about that. Others of us, no, it's more like an issue or a cause. Still others of us, have desires that revolve around a particular function. Maybe you just love to step into a messed up organization and give it some structure because you have this administrative bent. Um, so you love to step into toxic organizations and help them out. Or maybe you just love to work behind the scenes 
and uh, to help out in any way you possibly can in practical ways. The point being this, God designed you for a purpose and he wants you to identify your heart's desire. Now let me give you an illustration of, of all of this. I think of Millard Fuller, whose picture is coming up on the screen. Millard died just a few years ago when he was like 74 years old, but not before he followed his desire. So he was looking, the last few years of his life in particular, he was looking for some way to make a lasting contribution to the cause of Jesus Christ. And so he followed a dream that God placed on his heart of building homes for families with little or no income, okay? And this ministry just took off. Others started, started to help him, to volunteer, building these homes. And in 1976, it was given a name, some of you have no doubt heard about, Habitat for Humanity, started by this man, Millard Fuller. And so in now over 45 years, Habitat has provided housing for something like 39 million people worldwide. All because this one ordinary guy, you know, just, he just one ordinary person decided to use what God had given him as to champion a cause greater than himself. So maybe your passion, your desire is not building homes, but you know what? If you live with God long enough, he's gonna put a stirring in your heart to work with a group, a cause, or an area of function that he has personally chosen you to take on. So that's what we mean by desires. Okay, that leads us then to consider the results of following your heart's desire. How do you know, for example, if your career or your ministry matches the internal heartbeat that God has given you? There will always be these, at least these three results. So if you have a, a job right now, and as we go through these, you're going, ah, no, that's, no, no, that doesn't work for me. It could very well be that you're doing the right thing, but in the wrong place. Maybe you're part of a toxic organization, or you're functioning under a supervisor who's micromanaging you to the point where you can't even be creative functioning according to your heartbeat, your desire. So maybe what you need to do in that case is to leave that organization and do what you're doing now, but in a different environment. Or, you know, it could be that you're just in the wrong place. So these three results will always be present if your career or your ministry lines up with your desires. Number one, enjoyment, enjoyment. To state the obvious, if you're doing what you love to do, you're going to enjoy it, right? So when your job fits your desire, nobody has to wake you up and motivate you to get out of bed in the morning and get to your job, for example, or engage in some area of ministry. You know, you're highly motivated to do this. You don't need to be micromanaged. You'll never be put on a performance plan, and you don't need a lot of rewards or recognition. You do what you do because you love to do it. Now look at the statement by Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter two. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Now, what is the this that he's talking about? This was the reward for all of his labor. What's his reward? 
the fact that he took delight in all his work. So do you delight in your work? If you don't, again, you may be in the wrong job, and if you can make a change, that's what you need to do. Or if you can't right now, and maybe you can't, maybe you're stuck in a job that you don't like, but it is what it is for now. In which case, then you try to make sure that your hobby or your area of ministry is then reflecting your God-given design, so you'll experience this enjoyment. Now, as a way of illustrating this, there's a scene in one of my all-time favorite movies called Chariots of Fire, won a bunch of Academy Awards, that I think illustrates this matter of enjoyment. Now, the movie, among other things, tells the story of a man named Eric Liddell. Eric was, you don't learn this from the movie, but I can tell you he was born in China of missionary parents and felt, as an adult, called to go back to China as a missionary and eventually would, this isn't part of the movie, eventually would do that and actually die in a concentration camp. But way prior to that, he's in his homeland of Scotland and he wants to run in the 1924 Paris Olympic Games. He's a Christ follower and he wants to honor Jesus and he's doing all of this preparation, all of this running to get in shape uh, for the Olympic Games and he has an engagement this one particular night to speak to a group of students at a church. And he shows up late. And his sister goes ballistic. Yeah, I mean, she's really upset with him. Not so much because he was late for the meeting where he was to speak, but rather because she's convinced he has put running ahead of preparation for missionary service in China. So that's her big issue. And here's where we come to the key sentence in the entire, I think, movie. He says this in response to his sister. I believe that God made me for a purpose. And he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. What an incredible statement. Well, imagine you completing this sentence. Here it is coming up on the screen. God made me... What desire would you put in that statement? God made me, and when I engage in a particular activity, I feel God's pleasure. Let me give you a couple of examples. Some of you perhaps could say this, God made me a consultant, and when I help others improve their work, I feel God's pleasure. Others of you, maybe it's this, God made me a teacher, and when I teach third graders, I feel God's pleasure. Every once in a while, somebody will say to me, hey Rich, someday I'm gonna make enough money so I can quit this job that I hate and go do what I love. And I've been tempted to respond, you know, why in the world are you wasting your life in a job that you don't like when there's something else that God has given you a passion for. I mean, if you can, make a change. Now, some of you um, are retired, and I want you to know this, if that's your situation, or your grandparents are retired, or your parents are retired, please know it's never the will of God for you to retire from life. The ministry of older men and women is crucial in the life of this church and in society. 
I just want you to know, I am so glad to be part of an intergenerational community like City Church because we need each and every generation so that the older people can minister to a younger audience and prepare them for life going forward under the, the Lordship of Christ. So I think of Caleb, whose story is shared in Joshua chapter 14. Here's a guy who's 85, all right? And he says, I'm as strong as ever. I'm ready to drive the, the giants out of the promised land. I'm wondering if that's your attitude. And if you're retired, thinking about it, the last thing that God wants you to do is to spend your years in retirement in some self-absorbed activity. No, do something for the glory of God that reflects your desires. Two years ago, around this time, I was helping a church in Rochester, Minnesota, Christ Community Church, and a group of retirees in that congregation with backgrounds in engineering, math and science, decided that they were gonna contact and did a middle school in the northern part of the city and um, be, serve as tutors uh, working with these students in terms of their assignments in the areas of math and science. And that's what they did. And as they got to know these students, the students began to open up about what life was like at school, at home, all kinds of issues they were dealing with, and they were able to speak into the hearts and lives, oftentimes sharing at least a bit of their faith journey. Some of you could do that, right? The important thing is to recognize, do something for the glory of God that reflects your desires. So that's first, enjoyment. A second result, of following your heart's desire is effectiveness, effectiveness. So when you do what you love to do and you're gifted to do, have a heart for, you're good at it. So the key to productivity in your life is to do what you love to do. Now again, another word for this is passion. Passionate people accomplish mighty things for the glory of God, they get results. So passion, of course, is the motivation to give yourself to a cause or to a group of people or to a function that honors Jesus Christ. So I think of some people in the scriptures. Moses, it finally connected with him that God had called him to go uh, bring deliverance to God's people out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. So that was eventually his passion. How about Solomon? What was he passion passionate about? He was passionate about building a temple. Nehemiah, constructing a wall. How about the Apostle Paul? Well, he tells us in Romans 15, my ambition, or we could say my passion, my desire, has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard, rather than where a church has already been started by someone. So here's Paul writing this letter to a group of Christians in Rome. He's never been there. He didn't establish this church. They knew about each other. But Paul is writing this amazing letter of Romans filled with a lot of doctrine, especially chapters 1 through 11, all kinds of great doctrine, to introduce himself to this church so when he gets to Rome, they'll be able to understand who he is, his passion, and thus be able to support him in his efforts to take the gospel far to the west, to Spain, he tells us. Why? To preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard. So that's his passion. And the question is, what's yours? The people who have made the greatest impact on our world, 
have not necessarily been the best educated, the smartest, the wealthiest, the most gifted, but they have made a lasting impact because they were people with passion. So when I follow my passion, my heart's desire, there is enjoyment, there is effectiveness, and now the third result, excellence. When you do what you have a heart to do and give it, you're gonna give it your best shot. We see this in sports all the time. The best of athletes in any sport, doesn't matter what you wanna talk about, are those that are characterized by excellence, passion, enjoyment of what they do. So I'm wondering if any of you watched the Super Bowl game last Sunday afternoon between the Bengals and the Rams. If you did, you may know that the most valuable player of that game, Cooper Cup, has been described as um, among the most vocal and open Christians in the sport, okay? So this is what he said. I am exactly where I'm supposed to be, doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. My faith in God and his plan for me allow me to play freely without doubt or fear. I think he'd be doing this if he didn't even make any money because he loves to do what God has wired him to do. And when you're doing what God has wired you to do, you know, you, you don't need a lot of recognition or to be in the limelight. Can you imagine somebody going up to, uh, to Mother Teresa, who obviously passed away a few years ago now, and saying, Mother Teresa, why in the world do you spend your entire life in the slums of Calcutta helping the poor and these people that are dying in your arms of diseases like leprosy? Why are you doing it? Can you imagine her saying, well, I did it because I was hoping one day I would win the Nobel Peace Prize. No, not exactly. I mean, that was nowhere on her mind. She had a heart for helping hurting people. So you say, Rich, does everybody have a God-given implanted dream or desire? Yes. The problem is that the hurts and the doubts and the questions and the fears kind of bury it so we oftentimes can't even find it. And I think that's true for a lot of Christians that uh, they don't necessarily act on the interests and the desires and dreams that God has given them. So, Consider what you're doing in terms of ministry, consider your career, consider what you're doing in retirement, and ask yourself, are these three results part of what I'm doing right now? All right, how do you start following your heart's desire? Well, I wanna share with you five essentials to finding a career or an area of service based on your heart's design, uh, desire. Number one, you need to commit your life to Jesus Christ. Say, so why in the world would that be first? Commit your life to Jesus, really? Yeah, really, why? Well, who gave you the desire in the first place? He did, right? And so if you're not functioning under surrendering that area of your life to Jesus Christ, it can be misused, abused, wasted, uh, serving for the wrong motives. I mean, there are all kinds of negative possibilities here, but instead David puts it like this in Psalm 37. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. Now, as you're looking at that verse, 
I want you to notice what are the things that you and I are to do and what are the things that God says he will do? What are we to do? Take delight, commit, trust. What will he do? Give you your heart's desire and he's gonna be there to help you. And so when you give your life to Christ, you instantly start to become a more passionate person. Now I've had people say to me, Rich, I'm not really passionate about anything. I mean, there's no real reason for me to get out of bed in the morning and a face today. And you know, uh, I, I, I just don't think I'm a passionate person. Maybe, I mean, just maybe, you're not spending enough time with Jesus Christ. Because it strikes me, we become like the people we hang out with. So if you start hanging out with Jesus, reading the scriptures, getting to know him, to love him, to care about, you're gonna start caring for the things that are on his heart. So just spending time with Christ, you pick up his heart and you begin to feel the way that he does. So how do you begin to follow your heart's desire? Number one, you commit your life to Jesus Christ. Number two, Examine what you enjoy doing. Examine what you enjoy doing. Now, how do you do that? Well, each week, as Kara mentioned, uh, starting today, actually, we're gonna be giving you a series of five personal exercises. They'll be made available right after the service. So at 10.30 sharp, these two opportunities or ways of getting these exercises become available. First of all, some of you might want a hard copy. You can go out in the lobby and grab a hard copy of the particular exercise, the first one being on desires, and then there'll be one for experiences and all the others as we go forward in coming weeks. Or these exercises will also be available at 10.30 today. On our website, you can go to the top where it has resources, click on that, and there's a drop-down menu, first item, design, and you go there. And so these exercises are, are planned for you to prayerfully reflect on the unique ways that God has created you. Now this is gonna take some time, like 20 to 30 minutes, so um, you have some time to, to stop, to reflect, to listen for God's promptings, okay? so. Make yourself, you know, your favorite beverage. Grab a snack. Uh, curl up with a, you know, a nice warm blanket. And uh, this is meant to be fun, but it's also meant to be informative. Now, once you complete the exercise, at the very bottom, it's going to say Design Profile. You click on that, and what we want you to do each week is to transfer some, a summary of all the information you've just written down onto that design profile. So after five weeks of this, one for each of these uh, letters, you're gonna have a composite picture of your design, what it is that God is wiring you to do. And uh, we're, at the end of this, then gonna send you a customized profile compiling all of your responses and offering you some next action steps. So the first exercise is on desires. Here are the kinds of questions you wanna be thinking about. Number one, what are the things that I enjoyed doing when I was a child? Now maybe when you were a kid, 
you put on a play for your neighbors. Co uh, uh, costumes, props, you know, the whole deal. Maybe you constructed or helped construct a playhouse, okay? So you're looking for patterns. What did you enjoy doing? I recall this woman telling me she got all of her uh, stuffed animals. You know, there's the stuffed chicken and there's this uh, teddy bear. All of these animals out on the floor and she proceeds to give them instruction, you know. <laughs> you know what she's doing today? She's a school teacher. So you're looking for these kinds of patterns of behavior from childhood, then you, you jump forward and you say, okay, how about high school? What are the things I love to do during my college years or early adult years? You know, maybe there was something that you accomplished in the world of music or sports or computer or working with people. You really enjoyed it. So you're looking again for patterns of things that you enjoyed doing. And you're asking yourself questions like these. What fascinates me? What do I love to do? I've had people tell me, Rich, over the years I have volunteered in all kinds of things at my church. But you know what? I have finally found my niche. And maybe it was, you know, teaching uh, children in, in Sunday school. And they would say, wow, all week I'm thinking about the kids. I can't get them out of my mind. And I just can't wait to show up on a Sunday morning, find out how the week has gone, and, and to craft my lesson for them in ways that are going to enrich them and be practical and teach them something about God. Wow. Others have said that about working in the worship band or technical support or other areas of life. So what do I really love to do? Paul puts it like this in Galatians 6, 4. Be sure to do what you should, for then you will enjoy the personal satisfaction of having done your work well, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. So examine what you enjoy doing. How? By using this first week's personal exercise on desires. Uh, C on your outline is explore your options. So we want to encourage you to explore your ministry interests here in the life of our church. Now that doesn't mean you sign up for the first thing that comes along, but it does mean you investigate what might be of some interest to you. And by the way, the same thing ought to be true in your job. Imagine a job where you're making good money, but you hate every minute of the job, and then the manager comes to you and says, um, you know, we want to give you another opportunity. Oh, great, you jump at that. But maybe you're in a job right now that you love, and the management wants to take you out of a role that you really like to do in order to engage in something that you know you're not gonna like. Well, maybe you refuse it. You know, and if that means you have to leave the company, then that's what you need to do. But you're exploring options. And as you do, you're not comparing yourself to other people. Or maybe you've had these voices over the years that said, well, my dad, my mom wanted me to do thus and so. Okay, but what does your heavenly father want you to do? Okay, so explore options. Next on your outline is face your fears. Fear destroys more dreams and desires than really just about anything else. And so in Matthew 25, Jesus tells us a story about this, how this master gave three men a bunch of money. 
And the Furge 2 invested it, Master shows up, great things, you know, the doubled the income for the Master. Third guy says, well, uh, sorry, but you know, I didn't do anything, why not? Well, because I was afraid. When you stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in order to give an account of your life, should you respond by saying, Lord, you gave me these desires, you know, these abilities, these gifts, but uh, I was afraid so I didn't do anything, that's not exactly going to cut it. So you need to face your fears, three fears in particular. Number one is the fear of ridicule. What is that? The little voices in your head that would say, okay, you think you have this dream, who do you think you are? I mean, you're a nobody. You're an average student in school at best. Your parents, they were poor. You come from the other side of the tracks. Give it up. Fear of ridicule. Fear of failure. What if I try and I fall flat on my face? One movie that I think addresses this, this whole fear issue of failure is called October Sky. It takes place in a West Virginia coal mining area and as the movie begins, it's, we know, we're told it's the year 1957, and Russia has just launched the very first satellite. Does anybody remember what the name of that satellite was? Sputnik, right, this little thing. That was, a, that was the big deal. And we're scared to death as a nation because this is the midst, we're in, we're in the Cold War. But this boy growing up in this coal mining community is inspired to go build a rocket. And everybody, including his dad, is putting him down, saying, you know, who do you think you are? We're a bunch of coal miners. You're gonna be a coal miner too. But no, he pursues against all of these fears of failure and he's setting off rockets, they're exploding and nothing is happening. Finally, he, he contacts Dr. Werner von Braun, who is the director of our space program back in those years. He's reading about it, studying, and he's successful. And so he applies for the State Science Award for high school students, wins it, gets a scholarship, goes, uh, uh, everything is paid for to go to a nearby university, and he ends up getting a job with NASA. Somebody has put it like this, don't be afraid to rock the boat if Jesus is your captain. That's good. So face your fear, not only of ridicule, but of failure, and also the fear of the unknown. Saying things like this, boy, I hate my job, but at least it's secure. Or um, I'd rather hold on to a job I don't have than go after a, I mean, a job I do have, but rather than going after a job I may not get. So these are the kinds of fears that kill a dream. So what do we do? Well, number five, or the last one, E, is to step out in faith. Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the antidote to these fears of ridicule and failure in the unknown is faith. It's trusting that if God gave you the dream, he's gonna help you to fulfill it. You say, does that involve risk? It sure does, but that's what faith is all about. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage, is moving ahead in spite of your fears. So you don't base your life on your fears. 
You base your life on what God told you to do, and you're moving out in spite of your fears. You're doing it for the glory of Jesus Christ. And as you do, you pay attention to verses like this one in Philippians 2.13. It is God who is at work with you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. Now, notice the underlying words in the verse, power and desire. When God gives you the desire, he gives you the power to carry it out. So step out in faith. Well, let me summarize the teaching today in one sentence. Find out what you love to do, what God made you to do it, do and do it for his glory. And as you do pay attention to this verse that we shared earlier in Psalm 37, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for giving us a desire for yourself. Because nothing even comes close to the surpassing privilege of knowing you. And so we thank you that you've made us and placed desires and passions in our hearts. But Lord, we confess that sometimes our fears keep us from following those desires. So we need courage. And sometimes, frankly, we just don't know if the, if the cautious word we're hearing inside is your voice telling us not to go in a particular direction or is it the voice of the evil one who has come to lie and destroy. So we need wisdom. And Father, sometimes we long to fulfill our passion, but we don't know where you want us to go because we need your direction. So help us to listen to your still small voice and to courageously and faithfully follow your leading. We pray that we might then be people that are giving you glory through our work, through our play, through our interaction with our children and grandchildren, through our ministry here at the church, all for the glory of Christ, in whose name we ask, amen.